I remember every little thing as if it happened only yesterday. I was barely 17, and I once killed a boy with a Fender guitar. I don't remember if it was a Telecaster or a Stratocaster, but I do remember that it had a heart of chrome and a voice like a horny angel. I don't remember if it was a Telecaster or a Stratocaster, but I do remember that it wasn't at all easy. It required the perfect combination of the right power chords and the precise angle from which to strike. The guitar bled for about a week afterward, and the blood was zoo, dark and rich, like wild berries. The blood of the guitar was chuck berry red. The guitar bled for about a week afterward, but it rung out beautifully. And I was able to play notes that I had never even heard before. So, I took my guitar and I smashed it against the wall. I smashed it against the floor. I smashed it against the body of a varsity cheerleader. Smashed it against the hood of a car. Smashed it against the 1981 Harley Davidson. The Harley howled in pain. The guitar howled in heat. And I ran up the stairs to my parents' bedroom. Mommy and Daddy were sleeping in the moonlight. Slowly I opened the door, creeping in the shadows right up to the foot of their bed. I raised the guitar high above my head, and just as I was about to bring the guitar crashing down upon the center of the bed, my father woke up screaming, Stop! Wait a minute! Stop it, boy! What do you think you're doing? That's no way to treat an expensive musical instrument! And I said, God damn it, Daddy! You know I love you. But you got a hell of a lot to learn about rock and roll! Yo, ain't that the I truth? That's the truth, Jim Stamon, by Jervis. Oh my goodness. You have to be the hero hey. of your own story. And you can do that. You have to be the hero of your own story. And you can do that. 90% of it is just showing up. Get there and start working. Like, you're not gonna feel perfect every day. Gotta be those days you push through. This is what I want you to do. Write down what you would like to fix about your life. If you're 30 pounds overweight, you wanna lose 30 pounds? Do it the right way. Write down what you eat. Exercise every day. Force yourself to do it. Brain is the general, the troops of the body, and you get up and you do it. And then you get to write it down. You know, you're doing what you gotta do to get by, but ultimately you're not respecting yourself. I think we all have a certain amount of appreciation and respect for hero figures. We all look at the guy who never lies, always does the right thing, and fucking helps everybody out, and that's the John Wayne character, you know, that's that's the ultimate hero. The ultimate hero. 
You have to be the hero of your own story. And you can do that. You have to be the hero of your own story. And you can do that. And when you look at your own life, you don't stack up. You're a thief. You stole money from your wife's purse. You don't want to smoke cigarettes, but you fucking have to. You can't deal with the stress and smoke. Right. You devalue yourself. You slowly start devaluing yourself. You look at yourself and you realize that if you were judging yourself, you would judge yourself on faith. You can't pretend you're the hero Whoa. of your story. Hero of your story. <laughs> Most people get stuck in these patterns, find themselves on the person who doesn't follow through on their ideas. When I start things and I quit, you don't. No, you have started things and you quit, and it gives you a horrible sense of regret that's made you define yourself by that. You're not who you were a year ago. You're not who you were five years ago. You're not who you were last week. So you've got to regulate how much you dwell on regrets of the past. You really got to be careful. Cindy Betty's son. You'd be the hero of your own story. And happy birthday. At 40 years of age, stopped, got out of bed, and said, I'm not doing this anymore. I'm not doing this anymore. And I'm going to get myself in shape, and I'm going to eat healthy. And I'm going to do this. Because this is this is me now. This, this is me now. I decide that this is me. And people have to realize that you are not your past. You are not... All the yeah. times you fucked up, but not all the times you were drunk. That's not you. That's, that's not you. You are the person who's learned from a great deal of experience. This, this is a battle that you will fight for the rest of your life. But the key is to fight it, not to give in. Don't give in to that resistance. Fight that resistance. And in doing so, every day you do so, you have won the battle for that day. You will continue to fight that battle. You have to be the hero of your own story. And you can do that. You have to be the hero of your own story. And you can do that. You have to be the hero of your own story. And you can do that. You have to be This one goes out to you, 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 and especially you.
providing you benefits, providing you a healthy work environment. Why? Well, because they want people to work for them. They don't want people to realize their own dreams and escape. They want to set it up so that you stick around. You stick around in some sort of an unsatisfying world. It's up to you to see that video game properly. See that issue as it comes up on the map and calculate your future. Yeah, welcome to the meeting stream. This one's especially for Honey Badger. And you. And you, and definitely you. This one is definitely for you. This is especially for you. 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 Hey. Wow. Woo! Welcome to the meeting stream. Where we at? Where we at? Where, baby? I gotta check. Uh, uh. Oh, blame me. Yeah, it's another 191. 191 days and nights we've been getting after it. That's that's many days and nights. I'm very excited to be here. Very excited to share with you tonight. A special Meaning Wave live presentation. Duma to Bluma. We're going in. With that Duma to Bloomer. What is Duma to Bloomer, you might ask yourself. What is Akira the Don talking about? He's very handsome and his t-shirt is excellent. It looks a lot like the one he wore last night. He's definitely not wearing the same t-shirt he wore last night, is he? This has got to be, he's got to have multiples of this same t-shirt. That's what it is. That's what it is. Oh! No, I forgot something. Yo, you wait right here. Look after my spaceship. I'm back. I completely forgot I meant to, to wear um, my excellent red leather jacket tonight. And uh, I just, I brought it up here and everything. It was there in the green room. And when I say the green room, I mean the hall by the studio. But now we are now. So pretend that didn't happen and pretend that I just walked in looking like this and you went, Ooh, Kira the Don's got that beautiful red leather jacket on. It must be a special day. Yeah. Yes, that's right. It's a self-driving spaceship. Well, you know, I operate it by sheer force of will. Sheer force of will. Anyway, so just so you know, what we're doing tonight is uh, Duma to Bloomer. Duma to Bloomer. And uh, you might have seen uh, the nice uh, thumbnail. There was a guy on the left who looked a bit like miserable, and a guy on the right who looked a bit happy. Uh, Duma. Uh, Duma, let's see. Top definition on uh, Urban Dictionary. Duma says... Uh, a more, uh, you can't really trust Urban Dictionary, but we're going to go do this anyway. A more enlightened update of the incel, where the incel is chronically alone and projects his hatred onto women, the Duma has accepted his equally alone fate without resentment. Instead of bitching, he listens to Radiohead on evening walks. All right, that's about right. Usually uh, in his 20s, but can be any age, really. The Duma is typically unemployed or doing a dead-end job, tormented by unrequited love and alienated from most of the population. And this sense of personal aimlessness and despair seeps into his views on the world. Oh, no, on the world. Uh, in general, he lives in constant despair for humanity's future with the prospect of ecological catastrophes and economic downturns tormenting his mind 
to dull his sense of Welchmerge. He smokes or drinks, takes drugs, but nothing can quite take away the dread that the Duma constantly feels towards the future. Hence his name, Duma. He is the inheritor of a long tradition of being jaded with the world and adopting this as a consistent worldview. He looks and nods at those that deny life. He Hagias of Cyrene, the Buddhist Schopenhauer, but as a product of the modern world, he couldn't pretend there is any ultimate spiritual redemption at the end, so he can only deny, 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 deny. Shout out to whoever wrote the Urban Dictionary Doomer thing. It's, uh, it's very enjoyable to read. Uh, after she left him forever, he sat down despondent and empty, but he mustered up the energy to put on his 90s playlist and when the guitars from My Bloody Valentine's Loveless screeched their first notes, he knew he was now a doomer. And uh, yeah, so there you go. That's what a doomer is. That's a doomer, brothers and sisters. Doomer. That is the doomer. And uh, I've got to shout out Lucian of Samasata, who, uh, who wrote that on Urban Dictionary. I nearly read the Encyclopedia Dramatica one. That would have been hilarious. Yo, imagine. Shouts out to Encyclopedia Dramatica all day, of course, of course. Uh, so yeah, Doomer to Bloomer. Bloomer, what's a Bloomer though? The Bloomer has got a much shorter, uh, a much shorter entry on Urban Dictionary. It says, Bloomer, a Bloomer is someone with a bright outlook on life. He was optimistic in nature. Bloomers frolic in every opportunity to be happy and try to make the most out of life. The opposite of a Bloomer is a Doomer. The term Bloomer originated specifically as a counter to the Doomer on sites, especially like Poor Chan. After getting married, he became a Bloomer. So, yeah, you know, Doomer to Bloomer. As you can see from those descriptions, by the way, it seems there is some personal agency. It seems that one isn't just born one or born the other. It seems that it seems to have some kind of, something to do with choices and things of that nature. But I guess we'll find out because we're going to be, uh... You know, we're going to be uh, investigating this whole thing and taking a journey, a journey from Duma to Bloomer in what is part one of uh, what will be a multi-part series of, uh, of live events, exploring this phenomenon and uh, kind of mapping out a route for you to take if you wish to transition yourself from a Bloomer to a Duma. You don't need any surgery. No one needs to chop any of you off. You know, uh, that you might have to burn off some deadwood, so to speak, but none of your physicality needs to be injured uh, in, in this process, you know. Uh, but here at Meaning Wave HQ, we do have the keys. We do have the keys to the castle of Bloomadon. Bloomadon from Akira Don. Uh, so there, Honey Badger says, I'm so dang hype right now. I never comment usually. Oh, that's very nice. That's very nice. Uh, it's nice to see hype. Uh, Highweed says, from disgrace to space. Yeah, that's one way of putting it. One way of putting it. Boom Muffin says, I'm much better than yesterday. Thank you. I just let myself get cloudy. Last night's stream helped me. Hey, that's wonderful news. Isn't it nice when one can be helpful out there? That's just part of that bloomer outlook, I guess. Part of that bloomer outlook. You know, being helpful, bringing you joy. All that sort of thing. You know, I used to be a doomer. Well, I was not a doomer. But I did listen to, to depressing 80s, 90s indie music, and I, I did think the future was doomed, and I thought, what's the point of having kids? Why bring kids into a world like this? I'd, I'd you know, I'd uh, drunk the proverbial Kool-Aid on that one. I was like, oh, we're all, you know. I'd bought the, oh, humankind is a disease, da-da-da. But I was, I was still cheery and optimistic, and I still thought that it would, it would be okay. 
somehow. But I did, I did buy that stuff. You know, I, I remember uh, I wrote a blog one time, like, why would anyone have kids in this world? And uh, someone wrote to me, and they completely changed my outlook. And they said, Akira Danone, you're very optimistic, and, uh, you know, you bring a lot of joy to people's lives. And, uh, you know, and you're, you know you're, you're a good person. If you don't have kids, and people like you don't have kids, then we're fucked. We're only fucked if, uh, if the cool people don't have kids. If we just leave the kid having uh, to, you know, the, uh, the morons and the invertebrates, you know, then we're in trouble. And I thought, huh. And interestingly, that, that email kind of sent me on a little bit of a, a sort of like a, a spiritual uh, adventure quest that led me to where I am today, I guess, you know. And today, well, where am I today? Today I'm piloting this incredible spaceship the uh, Starship Wave Rider through the, uh, you know, multiple dimensions of Cosmos on a, just a, on a sort of daily joyful journey, you know, life with the big recorded human civilization, as I like to point, peop- point out to people. People say to me, Akira the Don, how can you say in the year of Tom Hanks' disease, we're in the middle of a pandemic? Awfulness is everywhere. How can you say people are out, there's the strokes in the streets, people are getting shot in the face for wearing baseball caps. How can you possibly say that this is the peak of recorded human civilization? I say, well, pretty easy. Pretty, pretty easy. I say, if you uh, stop looking through the keyhole, uh, that is the world view that is presented to you by the media and social media and things of that nature, it's just a little keyhole that, that, that they're trying to get you to look through. And if you look through that keyhole, yes, shit looks pretty horrible, shit looks pretty crazy, shit looks pretty sucky. However, that keyhole... You're just looking in a little broom cupboard, and it's one that they've set dressed. And it's deliberately been arranged to look in a certain fashion. Yes, it's, it is a room, and yes, it is true. There is a wall there, and certain aspects of it are true, but it's mostly a set dressed room, and it's just one tiny room. And there is the whole cosmos. There is the whole of everything, and the whole of everything is better than it has ever been for more people than ever even dreamed such things were possible. More people, you, know, you know all this stuff, but it seems I have to remind people. I have to remind people that... Uh, there is more prosperity and abundance in the world now than there has ever been. The world is at peace. In a way, like, it's obviously not completely at peace. There's stuff going on in some places, but the world is more peaceful than it has ever been. While people have been running around on it. You know what I mean? Look outside your window. Unless you live in Portland, you probably don't see people setting fire to each other and, and hacking each other around the head with, with, with hacksaws and bricks. That's mental, given, the, given everything that uh, people say about humans. Uh, we're actually, you know, shit is amazing and civilized. And, you know, just compare this, just compare us to 20 years ago, 30 years ago, 40 years ago. Stuff is amazing. I keep having to remind people. But anyway, anyway, that is by the by. I'm here today to take you on a sonic journey from Doomer to Boomer. And that's what we're going to do, brothers and sisters. That's what we're going to do. And I'm going to ask you now, are you ready? And answer me in the chat. Let me know where your ape suit is at and let me know, are you ready? Because we've got to do an international high five and then we've got to go in. You dig. Shouts out to Wade Crescent. Wade Crescent ran me up today. He said, your stream's looking amazing, Akira the Dawn. He says, how, you, how, you, how have you done that background? Where is that? A green screen? Is it a projection? I said, it's a spaceship, Wade Crescent. Good, good. What do you, you think? Look at it. It's obviously a spaceship. Very obviously, I'm in a spaceship. There's a certain, If you look on the, uh, this camera view, it's obvious that it's a spaceship. You can see the window. Look, there's the window. Window outside looks different to the front because we have a TARDIS situation going on. That's all. Anyway, uh, let's see what's cracking with everybody. Michael Keith says, I am ready. Orinoco says, More peas than ever before. Honey Badger says, More opportunity than not. 
quite. Ben Shield says Lego. Good point. In Manus Lysani says I'm watching No Game No Life last night and and uh, people do what they want, get involved and play the game. Okay. Yeah, Pitsy Cat says, yeah. Matt Crittenden says, peak right here. Well, he's in Australia. Uh, you know what I mean? Ben Shield says, Lego, my ego, we ready. We ready. Honey Badger says, beautiful, love you all. Yes. Aranoko Welling sings in the UK. Yes. LL Cool J says, Duma, Bloomer. What's up, LL Cool J? Amy Fitzgerald, ready here in PA. So much oof says, let's go, let's oof. Let's oof, let's get ready to the oof. Uh, Full Man Killer 3644, Maryland, of course I'm ready. Hi Weeds, I wish Little Peep was still here to catch the wave. Little Peep is immortal. Little Peep is beaming down on you from every aspect of the cosmos he currently inhabits. And uh, he is very, very happy now where he is, uh, which is everywhere. And, uh, you know, he is immortal. So shout out to Little Peep. Amanda Goins is in Albans. Amanda Goins is ready. Michael Peep's in the house. B. Athena's in the house. Hi Weeds is in the house. We got so many people in the house. I just got to say, it's International High Five time. Let's get that cracking, you know. Get the International High Five situation cracking across space and time. And uh, we're going to do this for little peep. We're going to do this for little peep, and we're going to do it for everyone else, you know, who, uh, who left us. Uh, three, two, one. Boom, boom, boom. There you go, brothers and sisters, we in here. It's noisy. It's noisy in this spaceship. But we can have a good time. You know, well, maybe we won't. Maybe we'll have a miserable time. Maybe maybe the Doomers are right, because we are going to hear the Doomer perspective. We're going to hear that Doomer perspective, and maybe they're right. Maybe it's going to go the other way. Maybe it's going to go, Bloomer! It's a Doomer! Maybe Akira the Dawn is going to lose his optimism and some of his other isms. We shall see. Let's get it. Uh, Eliza brings to the stage to present the case of Doom and Dunn. Uh, uh, the immortal Joseph Campbell. Let us consider this problem. The human eye opens at a rather late stage in the development of the individual. He has already done the most marvelous work he will ever do. In a mysterious way, in his mother's womb, he has built a human body. And this body has organs that are directed to certain ends and intentions. And these were not the organs designed by reason, designed by consciousness. Reason and consciousness comes to itself and asks later, what is it I'm all about? What is it I am here for? What is it I'm all about? What is it I am here for? Why is it I do this and that? Why is it I do this and that? What is it I'm all about? What is it I am here for? Furthermore, the coming of the eyes into the general biological picture is very late. 
life had already originated hundreds of millions of years before eyes opened and saw what was going on, saw what life was doing. Now if you'll see and think what it is that life does, that life has to do in order to be life, it has to kill and eat other life. That's the basic thing. This is a rather monstrous thing. And when the eyes see what the situation is on which its own life depends, its own existence, when conscience and consciousness become aware of the preconditions of their own existence, there is often a sense of shock, a sense of horror. basic word of Buddhism, all life is sorrowful. That's one way of recognizing this. There is also the feeling many have of guilt simply for being alive. This is, in a way, symbolized in the image of the fall in the garden. Life is monstrous. Joseph Campbell, I always say that's about as perfect an entry to the to the doom of thing as you could get from a, from a learned fellow. So thank you. Let's take it to that street perspective, that postman pers- perspective. <laughs> yeah, make some noise to Charles McCaskey. Way 
into the water on nights I drink away. And the sadness becomes so great. I hear it in my clock. It becomes knobs upon my dresser. It becomes paper on the floor. It becomes a shoehorn, a laundry ticket. It becomes cigarette smoke climbing a chapel of dark vines. It matters little. Very little love is not so bad or very little life. What counts is waiting on wall. I was born for this. I was born to hustle roses yeah, down the, the avenues of, of the dead. I was born for this. I was born to hustle roses down the avenues of the dead. I was born for this. I was born to hustle roses down the avenues of the dead. I was born for this. I was born to hustle roses down the avenues of the dead. Continually shake the earth. Radiated 
radiated men will eat the flesh of radiated Ow! men. The rotting bodies of men and animals stink in the dark wind. Nice Charles Bukowski. That was the back-to-back. Born for this and born like this. And, uh, yeah, I mean, all of that is understandable. And a lot of that is a lot of what I used to think about, you know? Yeah. What's cracking, everybody? Shouts out to everybody that's in. What up, honey badger? Says, I'm glad so many people are here. I've been a huge fan since 2006. Oh, my goodness. Is it that long? Is it that long? God bless you, baby. Hey. We got David Foster Wallace in the house. You know it's a couple things about these concerns. There have to be whole large parts of adult American life that nobody talks about in mental nature. One such part involves boredom, routine, and petty frustration. The parents and older folks here will know all too well what I'm talking about. By way of example, let's say it's an average adult day and you get up in the morning, go to your challenging white collar college graduate job and you work hard for eight or 10 hours and at the end of the day you're tired and somewhat stressed and all you want is to go home and have a good supper and maybe unwind for an hour and then hit the sack early because of course you have to get up the next day and do it all again. But then you remember there's no food at home. You haven't had time to shop this week because of your challenging job. And so now after work, you have to get in your car and drive to the supermarket. It's the end of a work day and the traffic is apt to be very bad. So getting to the store takes way longer than it should. And when you finally get there, the supermarket is very crowded because of course it's the time of day when all the other people with jobs also try to squeeze in some grocery shopping. And the store is hideously fluorescently lit and infused with soul-killing Muzak or corporate pop, and it's pretty much the last place you want to be. But you can't just get in and quickly out. You have to wander all over the huge, overlit stores, confusing aisles to find the stuff you want. And you have to maneuver your junkie cart through all these other tired, hurried people with carts. And eventually, you get all your supper supplies, except now it turns out there aren't enough checkout lanes open, even though it's the end of the day rush. So the checkout line is incredibly long, which is stupid and infuriating. Stupid and infuriating. 
which is stupid and infuriating. Stupid and infuriating. But you can't take your frustration out on the frantic lady working the register who is overworked at a job whose daily tedium and meaninglessness surpasses the imagination of any of us here at a prestigious college. But anyway, you finally get to the checkout line's front and you pay for your food and get told to have a nice day in a voice that is the absolute voice of death. And then you have to take your creepy, flimsy plastic bags of groceries in your cart with the one crazy wheel that pulls maddeningly to the left all the way out through the crowded, bumpy, littery parking lot. And then you have to drive all the way home through slow, heavy, SUV-intensive rush hour traffic, et cetera, et cetera. Everyone here has done this, of course. But it hasn't yet been part of you graduates' actual life routine, day after week after month after year. 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 But it will be. And many more dreary, annoying, seemingly meaningless routines besides. But that is not the point. The point is that petty, frustrating crap like this is exactly where the work of choosing is going to come in. Because the traffic jams and crowded aisles and long checkout lines give me time to think. And if I don't make a conscious decision about how to think and what to pay attention to, I'm going to be pissed and miserable every time I have to shop. Because my natural default setting is the certainty that situations like this are really all about me. About my hungriness and my fatigue and my desire to just get home. And it's going to seem for all the world like everybody else is just in my way. And who are all these people in my way? And look at how repulsive most of them are and how stupid and cow-like and dead-eyed and non-human they seem in the checkout line. Or at how annoying and rude it is that people are talking loudly on cell phones in the middle of a line. And look at how deeply, personally unfair this is. Or, of course, if I'm in a more socially conscious liberal arts form of my default setting, I can spend time in the end-of-the-day traffic being disgusted about all the huge, stupid, lane-blocking SUVs and Hummers and B12 pickup trucks burning their wasteful, selfish 40-gallon tanks of gas. And I can dwell on the fact that the patriotic or religious bumper stickers always seem to be on the biggest, most disgustingly selfish vehicles driven by the ugliest... This is an example of how not to think. Day after week, after month, after year. 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 Day after week, after month, after year.
after month, after year, day, day, after week, after month, after year, day, day, after week, after month, after year. David Foster Wallace right there, that song is called Supermarket. That's from the This Is Wars Wave EP. That's a banger right there. I don't know if actually, maybe banger is not the right word. Uh, that's a beautiful record though, right? That's a beautiful record. Shouts out to everyone alerting. What up, Dylan Thomas? What up, High Weeds? So I'm going to listen to this song every day. This is what I need. Hell and motivation like this. Yeah, that's a deep cut. Who said that's a deep cut? That's a deep cut. Speaking of deep cuts, I would say this is the newest meaning wave deep cut because this shit cut deep. Ladies and gentlemen, Marilyn Monroe. Uh, do I feel happy in life? Um, let's see. Let's see, I hope I'm finding happiness. Right? Right. Well, for me, uh, if I can realize certain things in my work, uh, I come the closest to being happy, and I can say that also like my life. But it only happens, I think, in moments. Sometimes when I'm working, and uh, and I'll be able to uh, uh, fulfill a scene truthfully, and then I think I'm the happiest. What I find is very stimulating to keep studying and working. Um, uh, but I'm not just generally happy. If I'm generally anything, I guess I'm generally miserable. <laughs> uh, I'm not just generally happy. If I'm generally anything, I guess I'm generally miserable. <laughs> uh, I'm not just generally happy. If I'm generally anything, I guess I'm generally miserable. <laughs> Sometimes I do, sometimes I don't, which is natural, I guess, for everyone. Um, I would like to be more sociable than I am on some days. Sometimes I chat when I'm not pleased, but sometimes the work itself requires uh, more... Uh, 
but I'm quietly to myself more. Another day, I do the musical number. I try not to get too, uh, uh, I like to be more outgoing because that's what I have to express. And so I try to keep it general. I try to, even if I feel like it or not, I try to make the effort to make contact people around me. Yes, because I could easily be alone. It doesn't bother me to be alone. Some people I know, they, they don't like to be alone. I don't mind it. I need it as a rest. And yeah, it kind of refreshes myself. Yeah. And a rest. Uh, I'm not just generally happy. I'm generally anything, I guess I'm generally miserable. <laughs> uh, I'm not just generally happy. If I'm generally anything, I guess I'm generally miserable. <laughs> sometimes and it's perfectly okay to want to be alone sometimes. And you can always come here to the MAC, baby. We always here waiting for you. There's this idea that Jung had, which I really love, which is the idea of the shadow, which is the dark side of humanity. Its roots reached all the way to hell. He meant something very specific by that. The metaphysical element was he meant hell, literally and metaphysically. But he also meant that if you were able to understand your dark side, then you would see in yourself a reflection of the behavior that was present at Auschwitz. And that the reason that people don't take the dark side of themselves seriously at all, even confront the fact that it exists, is because no one wants to see that reflected within them. And no wonder. Pursue what's meaningful and you'll encounter that which you least want to encounter. 
And that's, well, that's the dragon. The dragon is also something that lives inside you. It's not something that you take the encounter with lightly. See, I kind of knew this when I had my kids. I'd already undergone that to some degree and understood what it meant to be a bad person, terrible person. And I knew that it was easy for people to hate their children, even though they mouth the words that they love them all the time. You don't want to set them up as an enemy against you. You don't want to allow them to engage in the kind of hierarchical challenge that makes you irritable and resentful. That's not a good idea. And if the things they do make you dislike them, the probability that they will make other people dislike them is extraordinarily high. You need to know what sort of monster you are if you're going to be a good parent. And if you think, oh, I'm not a monster, it's like, oh, yes, you are. You're just an unbelievably unconscious monster. And that's actually the worst kind. Your fundamental job as a parent, especially of a child from zero to four, is to make that child eminently desirable socially. You're a successful parent if, when your child is four, all sorts of other children want to play with him or her. And so then you think, well, what have you done for your child? Well, you've opened up the entire world of children to them. So because they know how to play, everywhere they go, other kids like them and will include them in their play. And play is the way that children develop. The literature on this is crystal clear. If your child is an outcast at the age of four, the probability that anything can be done about that is almost zero. No matter what you do. And then the other thing is, if you don't allow your children to engage in dislikable behavior, then adults will like them. And the thing is, if you're good to your kid in, in the real way, you can help them maintain that tremendous attractiveness that they have as young children. And then wherever they go, adults welcome them and teach them things and pat them on the head and smile at them genuinely instead of saying, oh my God, this is that couple with that goddamn brat again. That's a horrible thing to do to a child. That's a horrible thing to do to a child. Because then everywhere they go, all the goodwill is false. And there's nothing that you can do to someone that's more terrible than to put them in a world where all the goodwill directed towards them is false. Yeah, make some noise to Justin Jordan B. Peterson. What up, high weeds? Says I was an outcast of outcasts. I listened to sad songs to remember where I came from. I was an outcast of outcasts, and I will stay this way forever, but I'm okay with it. I will just make sure I save everybody else. Hey, yo. Me too, baby. <laughs> Shit, you should have sent me to school. This is from Friedrich Nietzsche. Now, of course, you probably know that he was the philosopher who announced the death of God. 
What he meant by that was that the fundamental metaphysics that underlie Western culture had lost their foundation. And that the consequence of that would be the disintegration of the idea of value itself. Especially a value hierarchy.
It is not the heart that fires them, but revenge. And when they become elegant and cold, it is not the spirit, but envy that makes them elegant and cold. Their jealousy leads them even on the paths of thinkers. And this is the sign of their jealousy. They always go too far. So their weariness must in the end lie down to sleep in the snow. Tarantulas. 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 Out of every one of their complaints, it sounds revenge. In their praise, there is always a sting. And to be a judge, judge, judge. But thus I counsel you, my friends. Mistrust all in whom the impulse to punish is powerful. They are people of a low sort and stock. The hangman and the bloodhound. The hangman and the bloodhound. The hangman and the bloodhound. If a more prophetic thing was ever writ, 
Nostradamus would like to know. Jordan B. Peterson reading Frederick Nietzsche turned into a banger. I mean, that's an understatement. That's a song called Tarantulas. I made that song for Halloween two years ago. Two years later, <laughs> Halloween is every day for them tarantulas. God bless them. How does one become a tarantula? Well, you know, you follow all these lines of thought, I guess. And you happen to be a bit soft in the brain and easily led, you know? You don't think things through. Don't think things through. Shit. Here's the problem. The problem is. Problem here. The problem is. It's true. It's true. You're oppressed. 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 God only knows why. You're oppressed. 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 Hey. You're oppressed. You're oppressed. You're oppressed. God only knows why. Maybe you're too short, or you're not as beautiful as you could be, or. My was shouts out to Dan. You know, you're not as smart as you could be, and hey. you have a sick relative, and you have your own physical problem. Frankly, you're a mess. Frankly, you're a mess. And you're oppressed in every possible way, including your ancestry and your biology. The entire sum of human history has conspired to produce victimized you. you.
Who's the bloody thing? Who's gonna decide? Who's gonna decide? That's the thing. You have to fractionate the oppressed all the way down to the level of the individual. Oh, that's what the West figured out. It's not an accident that the axiomatic Western individual is someone who is unfit for us and tortured. It's like, yes! That's just one in the chat say that song is tarantula spray. Yo, imagine. Imagine that message getting through to some of our brothers and sisters with the mind disease. God bless them. God bless them. You know, it ain't easy, baby. Choosing the path of the bloomer, abandoning the path of the doomer. It ain't easy. It's easy to blame other people for everything. You know, it's easy to blame all your problems on the outside world. Scream and rage about capital T-H-E-Y. It's hard to look inward, baby.
in this traffic. All these vehicles stuck and idling in my way. It's not impossible that some of these people in SUVs have been in horrible auto accidents in the past. And now find driving so terrifying that the therapist has all but ordered them to get a huge heavy SUV so they can feel safe enough to drive. Or that the Hummer that just cut me off is maybe being driven by a father whose little child is hurt or sick in the seat next to him and he's trying to get this kid to the hospital. And he's in a way bigger, more legitimate hurry than I am. It is actually I who am in his way. Or I can choose to force myself to consider the likelihood that everyone else in the supermarket's checkout line is just as bored and frustrated as I am. And that some of these people probably have much harder, more tedious or painful lives than I do. Again, please don't think I'm giving you moral advice or that I'm saying you're supposed to think this way or that anyone expects you to just automatically do it. Because it's hard. It takes will and effort. Do it. Because it's hard. It takes will and effort. And if you were like me, some days you won't be able to do it or you just flat out won't want to. But most days, if you're aware enough to give yourself a choice, you can choose to look differently at this fat, dead-eyed, over-made-up lady who just screamed at her kid in the checkout line. Maybe she's not usually like this. Maybe she's been up three straight nights holding the hand of her husband who's dying of bone cancer. Maybe this very lady is the low-wage clerk at the motor vehicle compartment who just yesterday helped your spouse resolve a horrific, infuriating red tape problem through some small act of bureaucratic kindness. Of course, none of this is likely, but it's also not impossible. It just depends what you want to consider. If you're automatically sure that you know what reality is and who and what is really important, if you want to operate on your default setting, then you, like me, probably won't consider possibilities that aren't annoying and miserable. And miserable. But if you really learn how to think attention then you will know you have other options do it because it's hard it takes will and effort do it because it's hard it takes will and effort. It will actually be within your power to experience 
Plenty of things to criticize about being. It's tragic, and there's malevolence. That's basically the issue. And you can complain about that, but the thing is, if you complain about that, if you adopt that attitude, which is sort of an anti-being attitude, you go places that, if you knew you were going, you probably wouldn't want to go. It's the places where, like the kids that shot up Columbine went. Those are bad places. If you read the writings of the Columbine High School kids, and you really read them, if they don't make the hair stand up in the back of your neck, you are not paying attention. And one kid wrote things, I cannot believe that people could write. And I've exposed myself to a lot of crazy things that people have done and said. You just can't understand it. It's, it's, it's uncanny, you know? Well, that's where you end up if you're if you get bitter. It's like, well, what can you do about that? Well, the world is harsh. It's like, should you criticize it? Not until you put yourself together. You got to bring everything you can to bear on the problem before you have any right to stand in judgment about being itself. And that's what these mass murderers do. That's what they're doing. That's what they're acting out. They're saying, well, I'm looking out in the world. I don't like people. They're full of flaws. They act badly. They're a cancer on the face of the planet. It'd be better if they didn't exist at all. I don't like being. It's too full of suffering and evil. I'm the judge of this. I'm going to make my goddamn case. 
I'm going to take them out. And then it's more than that. It's like I'm going to take them out and I'm going to do it with the innocence first. Because that's the thing you got to get about mass murder. They're not hunting down the guilty. That's too obvious. They're hunting down the innocent. That's the best protest. Think about it. Well, I don't want to think about it. Well, that's for sure. You bloody well don't want to think about it. But you better think about it. That's where you go when you take that criticism of being approach. It's like you don't get to do that unless you want to end up there. Bad. So what do you do instead? Stop doing stupid things. Stop lying. Stop making things worse. Stop making yourself weak. Even in a day, you'll see that you have choices in front of you, and sometimes you don't know what to do. It's okay, you're ignorant. Maybe you make a mistake. Whatever. That's just ignorance. Malevolence is when you know what you shouldn't do. And you do it anyways. People do that all the time. And that's arrogance. That's, I'll get away with it. It's deceit. Because you're lying to yourself about whether you should do this or not. You know you shouldn't. And then it's resentment because, well, it's like, I'm going to do this bad thing because that'll teach the people, that'll teach God to treat me this way. That's the terrible trinity. Deceit, arrogance, resentment. Chase those out of your life. One of the very great things that C.G. Jung contributed to mankind's understanding was the concept of the shadow. That everybody has a shadow. And that the main task of the psychotherapist is to do what he called to integrate the evil. To, as it were, devil in us, in its proper function, because you see it's always the devil, the unacknowledged one, the outcast, the scapegoat, the bastard, the bad guy, you see, the black sheep of the family, it's always from that point, what we could call the fly in the ointment, you see? that generation comes. In other words, uh, in the same way as in the drama, to have the play, it's necessary to introduce a villain. It's necessary to introduce a certain element of trouble. So in the whole scheme of life, there has to be the shadow. The shadow. 
shape of the fountain, the shadow. Integrate the evil. Integrate the evil, the shadow. The bastard, the bad guy, the black sheep of the fountain, the shadow. Everybody has a shadow, because without the shadow, the county is up. It's a very strange thing, you see, that it's true. That the universe, so far as its biological aspect is concerned, is this weird system that lives by everybody eating everybody else. Only what we do to maintain what is called order and civilization is that various species make agreement that they won't eat each other. They'll cooperate and so be an enormous gang which can beat down the others. So the human being is the most successful so far of this gangster arrangement. We are the most predatory monsters on Earth. 
And we have cooperated to assault the fish and the vegetables and the chickens and the cows and everything, you see? Only we do it by not letting our left hand know what our right hand doeth. In other words, ladies and gentlemen, unless gentlemen happen to be prone to going hunting as a sport, they don't see their food killed. They don't see the slaughterhouse. And so what you get in the butcher in the market, a steak, you know, is a thing in its own right. It has nothing to do with a cow. Steak is the thing shaped us and so, and it looks as if it might be like a banana or something like that, you know, and nobody worries. And when a fish is served up, it does indeed look like a fish, but it's not the squiggly, squirmy fish that comes out on the end of the fisherman's line. You know, when you really fish, you realize that the fish doesn't like it very much. From this gangster arrangement, we are the most predatory monsters on Earth. So let me repeat, so, so let me repeat, from this gangster arrangement, We are the most predatory monsters on earth. So let me repeat. So, so let me repeat. Hey, MAZ makes some days! Absolutely extraordinary side of things. That is really terrifying. And so let me repeat. So let me repeat. The illustration I used of the cross in the net. Where one side of it is that cut and eat teeth that chew and get this thing in. And the opening side of it is like James Joyce's Ulysses, the girl who says yes, and I said yes, yes, yes. She wants to be absolutely ravaged by her man, see? So it's open, open, open. But now comes the, if we take the dark view of things, the horrible view, excuse me if I go into some rather Grizzly details, but have you ever heard of a vagina dentata? That is the idea that in the sexual organ of the woman there are teeth. And a lot of men have this fantasy and so are rendered impotent. They don't make love. Because they feel that the price of this blessed experience, this creative experience, loving experience, is you're going to get trapped. You're going to get emasculated. You're going to lose your precious member. From this gangster arrangement. We are the most predatory monsters on Earth. So let me repeat. So, so let me repeat. From this gangster arrangement. From this gangster arrangement. We are the most predatory monsters on Earth. So let me repeat, so, so let me repeat of this gangster arrangement. And, uh, this is a very ancient fantasy that appears throughout all known history. Because this is simply the woman's come on, where she attracts, but she's out really to get you. She is basically a spider mother, you see, <laughs> who is, is selfish and uh, doesn't really love you, not really, but says she does. And of course, there are on the other side, all the tricks of the men, which can go without mention.
MAZ, make some noise for yourselves. Make some noise for this gangster arrangement. Doom it's a bloomer, baby. Doom it's a bloomer. We got the recipe. Ego Cognis got to go to the recipe. Five by five squats, 235 pounds. Four by three deadlifts, 245. Baby, get it. Get it, baby, get it. Do it because it's hard. It takes will and effort. Uh-uh. One of the things that's happened in our society. One of the things. We seem to have concluded that strong men are dangerous. Right? What's up with that? That's partly because we think Western culture is a tyrannical patriarchy. Uh. And the only reason you get to the top is because you misuse power. Uh. So all the men who are at the top of the hierarchy are all misusing their power and uh. they're all tyrannical. And all the guys who have the aim and ambition to achieve that are just tyrants in training. That's okay. sort of the basic attitude that we have towards our own culture and towards young men now. Right, that's retarded. Everything <laughs> about that is pathological and inexcusable and shameful. You know, I used to watch kids skateboard. Whoa! I liked watching those kids. I, I like watching skateboarders do those crazy things. Crazy, 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 crazy. Because, because, because they're trying to become competent. They're facing danger. They don't want the damn protective gear. It's like, no. I don't want to wear a helmet. I want to expose myself to this danger. It's not that I'm stupid. And the kids are often shooed away. It's like, wait a sec. They're practicing being courageous. They're practicing mastering something in the face of danger. Don't bother children when you're skating. Don't bother children when you're skating. for that matter, fucker.
playgrounds. My parents raised money for these damn playgrounds. There was nothing wrong with them. We tore them all out. Two weeks before school started, there was nothing but dirt and gravel. I saw the kids on top of the school. Why? Because they needed some danger. Don't bother children when they're skating. Don't bother children when they're skating. M.A.Z.
Yeah, what up? Unpronounceable to me, beautiful name. Just got home from buying car parts and enter MAZ to this. Akira is why I've bloomed back into what I once was and once more. Yeah! Get after it. Whoa! Come on, M-A-Z. Yeah, what happened there? That was epic. Shouts out to all of that. Shouts out to you. Shouts out to everybody locked in. Do my suit, Bloom. Ah! Yeah, I think we're going to make it, baby. I think we're going to make it. The Duma argument has not convinced me. Uh, I mean, I understand why people would make it. I understand why people would want you, like, you know, angry and afraid and giving your power over to things outside of yourself. Raging, hateful, bitter, resentful, unhealthy, miserable. Makes sense. I didn't want to work with actors anymore. So I was happy that Fear Factor was no actors. Since I had a background in coaching, I was used to teaching people and I was used to encouraging people and getting people motivated. When someone was nervous and they're about to do something, I could grab them and go, look at me. You You can can do do this. this. M-A-Z. Look at me. This is gonna define you. If you back off, get scared, and give in to your fear, this is gonna define you. Look at me. You can do this. Look at me. You can do this. If you just press forward, realize you can do this and succeed, it will define you in a positive way. You can do this. It was completely unexpected. Because I thought the gig was just going to be these people do these crazy things. I make fun of it, you know, we all cheer and it would all play itself out because it was a reality show. But somewhere along the line, especially when they became really nervous, it was very intense. There was moments where I really, I wanted these people to win. You know, I wanted these people to do their best. I wanted these people to succeed. There was one time, there was this father and the son competing against a mother and the daughter. And the father and the son were kind of jerks. And they thought that they were going to win. The parent and child teams had gotten down to two. And it was the man and his son versus the woman and her daughter. And everybody thought these jerks were going to win. We were kind of bummed out about it. But the woman and her child, they just rose to the occasion. I mean, I remember talking to them and firing them up. I didn't know if they could do it. I didn't know if they could do it. 
Look at me. You can do that. Look at me. You can do that. This is going to define you. If you back off, get scared, and give in to your fears, this is going to define you. Look at me. You can do that. Look at me. You can do that. If you just press and realize you can do this and succeed, it will define you in a positive way. You can do this. It was some crazy thing that they had to climb and do this thing and they gather flags and it's all the time. The kind of jerky son, the jerky dad, they kept screwing up. They fucked up because they'd kind of taken it for granted that they were going to win. A lot of times jerks are just insecure. And when they're under pressure, when they're really faced with real pressure, like this is the real moment. Who are you really? Who are you really? Fuck all that talk. Who are you really? They fall apart. The mother and the daughter won. You're talking about a hardened crew of people that watch people eat animal dicks, jump, jump out of helicopters, season after season, episode after episode. Everybody cried. The camera people, I don't cry now if I'm thinking about it. Just seeing their spirit when they were figuring out a way to win, watching them win, to this day. Look at me. You can do that. This is gonna define you. If you back off, get scared, and give in to your fears, this is gonna define you. Look at me. You can do that. Look at me. You can do that. If you just press and realize you can do this and succeed, it will define you in a positive way. You can do this. Bad things. I tear up for happy things. It's never been sad things. It's very hard to get me to cry with sad things. Success. People pulling through. When someone has a particularly incredible performance, I have the fight off tearing up. I feel so happy for them. With sad things, I can objectively analyze them, and I cannot get sad. I can understand that this is just life, and it is what it is. I mean, I won't feel good, but I won't start weeping. I don't weep for sad things the way I weep for happy I can rationalize and understand sorrow. I can internalize it. I get it. I just get so happy for people sometimes when things go well. As a human being, you realize how hard it is to overcome competition or these difficult moments or these, these moments when you're tested. And you know there's fears and insecurities that these people have to battle, as well as the actual physical task in front of them. There's so much going on. You can do this. You can do this. This is going to define you. You back up, get scared, and give in to your fears. This is gonna define you. Look at me. You can do this. I said, look at me. You can do this. You just press and realize you can do this. And succeed. It will define you in a positive way. You can do this. You can do this. Yeah, you can do this. You can do this. You can do this.
of human will. I love stories of discipline and success. I don't even like going to movies where they're sad. I'm not interested. I know it's sadness. I've been sad. I get it. I'm not interested in getting that in a form of entertainment. I like success. I like I like seeing people triumph. I like seeing the human spirit manifest itself in spectacular ways. How is everyone doing? How is everyone doing on that? <laughs> sure. You're ready to talk. Yeah. Manifest energy for a final part of Seth. Pull from somewhere. The power. Requisite. Yeah! Make some noise, everyone, out there! Shouts out to everybody, you bad motherfuckers, look at you getting after it. Very proud of you, MAC, I'm very proud of all of you. I see you, I see you every day, I see your messages, I see what you're up to. You're doing your damn best, you're doing your blessed best. What up, Gustavo Gomez, so shouts out to my brothers and sisters out there and need some love. You can do this! That's right, that's right, that's right. Throw that shit out, Jamie, that's right. Woof! Excuse me, one second while I pull my shit together. What a kind of charade. Sobriety, pursuit of a dream, school, productive family life, whatever, look at me. <laughs> Get after it. I've listened carefully to your Cain and Abel lecture, but waves of contempt for existence itself keep coming. There's a part of me that revels in riding these waves. But can I harness them for good? God, you guys, you ask the hardest questions. Waves of contempt for existence itself keep coming. Waves of waves of contempt for existence itself keep coming. There's a part of me that revels in riding these waves. But can I harness them for good? Waves of contempt for existence itself keep coming. It's probably time for a little bit of individual psychoanalysis. Whoa. You're generalizing, you know, you say waves of contempt for existence itself keep coming, but I don't believe that that's exactly right. I'm certainly not accusing you of being deceitful. It's more like low resolution. My suspicions are is that there's a set of experiences that you've had that are characteristic to your own personal life that have caused you some bitterness and some resentment and that those haven't been thought through usually thinking through means trying to take as much responsibility for altering the conditions under which those things happen going forward into the future as possible like the purpose of memory is to stop you from doing the same stupid things in the future right 
if you've had experiences that have made you bitter and resentful or are still engaged in experiences that are doing that, then you need to do a careful microanalysis of what those are and see if you can see if you can flip your attitude in some matter. I'm not saying this is easy, but the first thing you can do is at least figure out what those memories are. You can kind of tell if something needs work from a memory perspective if it occurred more than about 18 months ago and when you remember it, it still causes like a wave of sadness or anger. Waves of contempt for existence itself keep coming. Waves of, con waves of contempt for existence itself keep coming. There's a part of me that revels in writing these waves. But can I harness them for good? Waves of contempt for existence itself keep coming. What that means is that your brain is still targeting that experience as threatening and unexplored. And what that means is that in some sense, part of you or a part of you that could exist is still stuck in that memory. Because you can go back and do a careful causal analysis of the events that led up to the unfortunate circumstance. Map out your role. There's going to be things that you could have done differently to avoid it. And that's what you need to figure out for the future. take things too personally there's nothing personal about the fact that terrible things happen to you i mean unless you're directly causally involved as, as it says i believe in the old testament rains on the just and the unjust alike the tragedy and difficulty and even the confrontation with evil are built into the structure of existence and it's not aimed at you personally may be the price that we pay for existence itself you could say well that price is too high to pay but if you start thinking that way then you make everything much much worse waves of contempt for existence itself keep coming waves of waves of contempt for existence itself keep coming there's a part of me that revels in right in these ways But can I ask them good? Waves of contempt for existence itself keep coming. It seems better to shoulder your cross voluntarily and stumble forward towards the light. That's the best strategy. And just because it's the best strategy doesn't even necessarily mean that it's always going to work. Like, this is no optimistic scenario. Like a dragon is no optimistic scenario. Confront the dragon, get the gold, bring it back to share with the community. Akira. You know, that sounds all well and good, but after all, it is a dragon and many people get eaten by them. The myth basically says, well, your best bet is to open your eyes and speak the truth and look forward. Forthrightly and confront the hydras that are raising their heads and their tentacles constantly to frighten you and stop you and to fight the tyranny of the social structure when it's oppressing you unduly. And that's what you have to do. But I would say if that contempt is there, man, that's really worth digging into. 
That would be the place where you would discover the Indian shadow because you would discover that contempt is an unbelievably destructive force. It would be useful for you to try to think about, you can use fantasy to do this. It's like, okay, if you let that contempt manifest itself fully in like a dream or a daydream, what's the vision exactly? I mean, is it the destruction of the town? Is it the destruction of the country? Do you want the entire world to blow up? Waves of contempt for existence itself keep coming. Waves of waves of contempt for existence itself keep coming. There's a part of me that revels in riding these waves, but can I harness them for good? Waves of contempt for existence itself keep coming. Or there's specific people that you're angry at, or maybe you're angry at yourself. Those waves of contempt are unarticulated elements of experience, and they're part of your shadow. So, can you harness them for good? Well, the more you understand your dark urges, the more likely you are to be able to regulate and control them and to use them as part of your power. Is, is who's integrated the dangerous parts of themselves, and that's kind of what gives their words gravitas and weight. And so, and yes, I think you could you could harness them for good, and I think that's the right thing to do. But it will involve a fair bit of painful soul searching. Make some noise to join B. Peterson. And the guy who asked that question. Back to the stage, there's Alan Watts. Funny thing. I start work on Watts Wave. Well, I mean, I'm, I did all. The, I've been done a bunch of preparation work, but I start recording Watts Wave 20K today. So, right? I started recording it today. You might have seen some stuff on my Instagram stories. You know, uh, how many? We did four songs today. So, today was pretty intense. It was sweet. But you know, I start doing that today, and guess what happened? Very strange. Well, not very strange. You know, I say to you, uh, look out for synchronicities. There are signposts that you're going in the right direction and you're doing the right thing. So I start working on What's Way 20K today. Guess who sends me an email this morning? Haven't had an email from him for about three or four months or something. Maybe since like May. Mark Watts, Alan's son. How about that? So I guess that's the right thing for me to be doing right now. And we swimming in the right direction, baby. Just got to keep on moving. Like a shark. Don't stop. 
don't stop, baby, don't stop. Just keep on moving. Don't overthink it. Synchronicities are signposts. That's right. Also, consider death. So, this hey. is a view of the world as a system of mutual exploitation. That's right. And of maximal selfishness. That's right. Now, it's a very profitable view to explore. Everybody should do in their lifetime sometimes lifetime two things. One is to consider death. To observe skulls and skeletons. Consider death. And to wonder what it will be like to go to sleep and never wake up. Never. That is a very gloomy thing for contemplation, but it's like manure. Just as manure fertilizes the plants and so on. So the contemplation of death and the acceptance of death is very highly generative of creative life. You'll get wonderful things out of that. And the other thing to contemplate is to follow the possibility of the idea that you are totally selfish. You don't have a good thing to be said for you at all. You're a complete, utter rascal. You're a complete, utter rascal. Now, the, the Christians have avoided this. Because all those they say in their Episcopalian form of confession, that we have erred and strayed from thy ways like lost sheep, and we have followed too much the devices and desires of our own hearts. Too much. You know. We have offended against thy holy laws. We have left undone those things we ought to have done, and done those things which we ought not to have done, and there is no health in us. But it ought to be different, and we're going to do our best to amend with the help of God's grace. That is a real con act. If you equate health with genuine love and perfect unselfishness, then in that sense, there is no health in us when we look at ourselves from this point of view. Consider death. To observe skulls and skeletons. Consider death. And to wonder what it will be like to go to sleep and never wake up. Never. Consider death. To observe skulls and, and skeletons. skeletons. Consider death. And to wonder what it will be like to go to sleep and never wake up. Never! Never! Just as well it was. That beautiful stoic man. Stoic Alan. Just as stoic Alan. Skulls, baby, skulls and flowers. This notion that out of death comes life hey. becomes a very important theme. Hey, there you go. In the later religions of the world. He who loses his life shall find it is a spiritualization Whoa. of this idea. Whoa. But then 
Mesopotamia, about 3000 BC. Large communities grow up based on agriculture. Planting has to take place a certain time, reaping a certain time, and there are professional priests watching the heavens to know when those times were, when those times came. And those men became aware of the movement of the planets through the fixed stars. And they calculated and recognized that these planets were moving in mathematically inevitable courses. And the idea came into being. Men became aware of the movement of the planets through the fixed stars of the cosmic order of mathematical precision. Men became aware of the movement of the planets through the fixed stars. The neighbors now were the stars. comes and goes, the year comes and goes, the eons come and go, and the whole society must go into accord with that. This idea that the human society should reproduce the heavenly order comes in. The neighbors now are the stars, and this still lives with us in our religions. All of our religions have inherited this motif from the old Babylonian world. It went out with the higher civilizations to India, to China, even across the Pacific, to Mexico and Peru. And you see these great towers, these great temple towers that represent the mountain of the world. It's the axis of the world around which the world turns, as it does around the pole star, the whole world. And society and the individual in it are like the planet. It's moving in a great course. And society and the individual in it are like the planet. It's moving in a great course. Then became aware of the movement of the planet through the fixed stars of a cosmic order of mathematical. Men became aware of the movement of the planets through the fixed stars. The neighbors now were the stars and the planets. Yeah! Now in the 1920s, Sir Leonard Woolley, excavating in the graveyards of Ur, found graves in which there were 30 and 40 people buried. All of them in court attire who had been buried alive. When the king died or was killed at a certain time in the movement of the planet, when the moon goes down and the planet Venus along with the moon, that was the end of an eon, the king and his entire blood walked into the grave. They were playing a game. Just as the hunters were imitating animals, just as the planting people were imitating plants, so the high civilizations began 
with princely, aristocratic little groups imitating the stars to the death, going all the way. The whole court at the end of an eon went in the grave so that another court could come. Then became aware of movement of the planets through the face of a cosmic order of mathematical precision. Then became aware of the movement of the planets through the face The neighbors now were the stars. It's very poetic thing, really. The little girls who played the harps. We have these harps. They have been excavated and restored. These little skeleton hands. The girls' hands were still on the harp strings. The women in one of the graves had golden hair ribbons. One girl didn't have her golden hair ribbon on. It was found in her pocket. She had been late to the party and hadn't had time to put her ribbon on. Well, now we don't do that anymore. That kind of action has fallen into disuetude. Nevertheless, the king still wears the golden crown of the sun. The sense has gone, yet the poetry somehow echoes. said that that's true I concur what a, what a pleasure to be able to listen to that song I haven't listened to that song for a long time you know oh what a beautiful record wow how could you not be in bloom Make some noise, M.A.Z. My daughter was very ill. She had juvenile rheumatoid arthritis, and when she was between the ages of 14 and 16, it first destroyed her hip, which had to be replaced, and then it destroyed the ankle on her other leg, which had to be replaced. She walked around for two years on broken legs, and she was taking massive doses of opiates and could hardly stay awake and she had this advanced autoimmune disease which produced all sorts of other symptoms that were just as bad as the joint degeneration but which are harder to describe and so it's just bloody brutal 
you know, and as a test of your faith, there's almost nothing that's more direct than a serious illness inflicted upon an innocent child. Child, child, child. But what to do in a situation like that? Because everyone is going to have a situation like that in some sense. You know, you'll be faced with illness in the people that you love. And one of the things you do when you're overwhelmed by crisis is you shorten your time frame. You can't think about next month. Maybe you can't even bloody well think about next week, or maybe not even tomorrow. Because now is just so overwhelming that that's all there is. And that's what you do. You cut your time frame back until you can cope with it. And if it's not the next week that you see how to get through, then it's the next day. And if it's not the next day, then it's the next hour. And if it's not the next hour, then it's the next minute. And you know, people are very, very, very tough. And it turns out that if you face things, you can put up with a lot more than you think you can put up with, and you can do it without becoming corrupted. And she did recover because she figured out what was wrong with her and then took the necessary steps to fix it, which is nothing short of a bloody miracle. You have to be alert when you're suffering. You have to be alert to the beauty in life, the unexpected beauty in life. There's this cat that lives across the street from us called Ginger. Cats really aren't domesticated, eh? technically speaking, they're still wild animals, but they kind of like people. God only knows why, but they do, you know? And so Ginger will come wandering over and let you pet her. You know, you have to look for those, that little bit of sparkling crystal in the darkness when things are bad. You have to look and see where things are still beautiful. You narrow your time frame. You'd be grateful for what you have. That can get you through some very dark times. And maybe even successfully, if you're lucky. But even if unsuccessfully, then maybe it's only tragic and not absolute hell. You can do that. You know, in the worst situation, you can make it only tragic and not hell. There's nothing worse at a deathbed than to see the people there fighting. The death is bad enough, but you can take that, as terrible as it is, and make it into something that's absolutely unbearable. And maybe I think, and this is sort of what I closed the book with, if we didn't all attempt to make terrible things even worse than they are, then maybe we could tolerate terrible things that we have to put up with in order to exist. And maybe we could make the world into a better place, you know? And it's what we should be doing and what we could be doing because we don't have anything better to do. And that's what the book is about. And that's the end of 12 Rules for Life. Sí.
for example, that an area twice the size of the U.S. has greened in the last 15 years. There's more forests in the Northern Hemisphere than there were 100 years ago, and more forests in India and China than there were 30 years ago. And then this has gone along with that Hey, bless up, Angela. The rate of poverty is diminishing. You are amazing. Great, right? Between 2000 and 2012, we have poverty. It's never been better than this. And it could be so much worse. It's never been better than this. And it could be so much worse. It's never been better than this. And it could be so much worse. It's kind of hard on the boxes. I would say, even ah. if there is inequality, and inequality is a problem, first of all, it doesn't look like inequality can be placed at the feet of capitalism. It seems to me to be a far more intractable problem than that. Second, it's clear that the poor are getting richer, despite the fact of inequality. And third, and this is hard on the environmentalists, I think, is that to consider how actually bad it could be if the uh, fantasies of the deluded were real. Imagine if what they thought was true was true. You'd be stepping over piles of bodies like on your way to take a poop in the hole in the road. That was your hole in the road. My goodness, brothers and sisters. What a beautiful life it is. What a beautiful wife it, life it is. What a beautiful wife it is. Yeah, yeah. The fact that life is trapped is part of its liveliness. 
in speaking of the transients of the world, always under their best poetry. You know, you know. just reading Shakespeare for hours and hours. I wonder if that exists. Do you think it exists? Like Meaning Wave, which exists. Doomer to Bloomer, baby. It's a beautiful life. The greatest gift of all. Yourself. 
Yo, M.A.Z. make some noise. Doom it to Bloom, uh, a cut. That was Doom it to Bloom, uh, Doom it to Bloom, uh, Doom it to Bloom, uh. Has to be. Let you. So that you could be like me, baby. Woo! Thank you all for being here on this journey tonight. That was Doom as a Blimmer Part 1. 
of a planned trilogy. This journey from uh, DCB, baby. Thank you for being here. It's a beautiful day to be alive here at the Peak Recorded Human Civilization, baby. I don't know how else to say it. Good morning, universe. It's a beautiful day to be alive. Whoa. You could have been born at any point in history, but you're here today, and there has never hey. been a better day to be alive. We are broadcasting live from the Peak of Recorded Human Civilization. <laughs>
you know, their content up there. So anyway, I thought it would be cool if we all went and raided their stream after here. You know, so head head on over to the Alan Watts twenty four seven stream. They're playing the uh, original recording of what of the Web of Life, which uh, of course your friendly neighborhood Don turned into some epic records. You know, so uh, yeah, YouTube Hero Alex is going to post the link, and uh, we're going to do it by five. Then everyone head over there. Everyone head over to the Alan Watts Organization's uh, official live stream. Go follow over there. Go subscribe. Uh, leave them a message. Uh, you know. Say what's up. Uh, and, uh, yeah, I think that'd be a nice thing to do, you know? That'd be a nice thing to do on this Doomer to Boomer uh, night. A Doomer to Boomer night. I'm glad we did this. Uh, I'm glad we did this. It hurt. <laughs> it hurt for some reason. Uh, it hurt, and, uh, and that's good. <laughs> yo, yo, yo. All right, bless up. Thank you, Rev Rick. Thank you, Word XP. Thank you, Nick Mayoga. Thank you, everyone who's been locked in through this uh, this this performance, this uh, you know meaning wave life thing, baby. It's meaning wave life. We do this every day. We do it every day. It isn't always necessarily a big ass meaning wave set. We did one tonight, and we did one yesterday. You've been spoiled for meaning wave sets. And uh, wow, this one was long as well. This one was long, and uh, that's epic. That's epic. If you miss any of the streams, you can catch them on the podcast feed. By the way, we got it. we're on the there's a podcast feed. Just type Akira the Don into your podcast provider. You'll find the podcast feed. You can call from there as well. And uh, yeah. Anyway, I got I got to get out of here. I got to go eat that steak and collapse. So let's do the by five, baby. International by five. And uh, then you guys can go raid Alan Watts' is stream, the official Alan Watts org stream. Uh, YouTube Hero Alex is posting the link in the Discord. Uh, I think. If he hasn't, I'll do it. Uh, I will do it now because we'll be gone in three seconds. Yeah, 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 baby. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Thank you for being here. We'll be back tomorrow at 7 a.m. CT, 7 p.m. CT. Meaning Wave Masterpieces 2 is coming very, very soon. We've got a new single from that dropping this Friday. Then the album will follow. And, uh, yeah, it's epic. I'm going to play something from it tomorrow, I think. I'll play something new from it tomorrow morning on the stream. How about that? On the Meaning Wave Morning Show. Yeah, looking live the Meaning Wave Morning Show tomorrow morning. I'll play you something very, very king epic from the new album. All right, bye five time, baby. Bye five time. Head on over to, we're going to count down. Then you're going to go head on over and raid Alan Watts. Tell him, said Akira the Don said, what's up? It's a beautiful day to be alive here at the Big Recorded Day. Human Days to be alive. Three, two, one. Bye-bye, baby. I love you guys. <laughs> See you soon.